You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, and this guy over here, Dave, Farmer Dave. Dave, Dave, how's it going, Dave? I am doing well. It's been a, it's been a long couple of nights, yeah. but uh, it always happens around this time of year. Yeah, I haven't seen much of you lately, as I've been mentioning in the uh, book club uh, meetings. Uh, we haven't seen much of you around town lately. Uh, what's going on? What's 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 keeping you busy these days? Well, I, I don't know if you've uh, you've uh, driven down by. Uh, uh, by a Quantrell Road, but you may no. notice that there is a huge edifice next to the barn. Okay, a huge edifice next to the barn is uh, everything okay? Do you need Do you need us yes, to call it's a anyone? Goat-shaped. A goat shaped edifice at the no, barn. No, 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 no. This is my Christmas. Yes, this is my Christmas tradition. I've done for the last three years. Now, those of you who've been listening in the last month may know that that Santa Claus is illegal in the city of Olean. That's true. And that's because in 1949, uh, basically uh, an axe murderer attacked uh, the uh, little uh, little sisters or friends of Melanie uh, Nunnery killed 19 people. So any any type of representation of Santa Claus is is, is illegal. illegal in the boundaries of, of Oleander. Yes. Yep. Uh, and so we, we have a lot of different traditions, and I brought one mm-hmm. that exists. Um, like, um, I don't know if you know this, but in Japan, Christmas is almost completely associated with KFC. Yeah. Because one of the first introductions, or Kentucky Fried Chicken, one of the first real introductions to, to Christmas to the Japanese culture besides like the soldiers there during the occupation mm-hmm. was an ad blitz with um, the, the Kentucky fried chicken in the sixties over in, in um, Japan. Interesting. So a lot of people instead of where we have ham and Turkey, uh-huh. a lot of people for Christmas Eve will go and get this meal made by KFC. Well, now, we don't have any KFCs here in, in Oleander, no. but um, we have something better. We have, Louis Luau. Yes. So Louis Luai, who is Polynesian, mm-hmm. has this wonderful, just amazing food cart. Yes. And so he makes basically Christmas Eve, um, you know, uh, pineapple glazed ham. Correct. And, uh, you know, orange flavored chicken. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will go and, um, you know, that's that's where most people go get their, their Christmas Eve dinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another thing is um, uh, those people who don't, or some people who do, you're going to notice a lot of people at the cemetery on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Because, you know, it's tradition in um, places like Portugal and some place of Germany to basically have dinner with a ghost. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see a lot of people will go on to get there their you know meal from from louis and then they will eat it on christmas eve um in in the cemetery yeah that's 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 an interesting uh town tradition i i keep trying to start stuff with like uh getting in touch with whoever owns the uh bowling alley and like being like let's let's uh let's let's, let's do like cotton candy let's 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 do like 
hot dogs. Let's like have, and everyone's like, no, we don't want that for any holiday. There's a reason that bowling alley has been shut down and not just because it's a six story single lane bowling alley, but I mean, yeah, six lane lanes on, on top of each other. Yeah. For, it's a six lane bowling alley. Here. Six. It's, it's, it's that weird narrow building on the edge of town. It's yeah. Anyway, um, great for watching fireworks, but that's about it. Yeah. Well, uh, so I bring so my tradition the last three years. Yeah. Is I make this giant hay goat. Okay. And I decorate it. And in fact, I would love to say that I invented the idea, but it was actually in um in Switzerland. Huh. And. In Switzerland, there's a a city called. Are you sure it's again, not Sweden? I am going to. Sweden, Sweden, yes. Okay, uh, I'm sorry, all you Swiss people that I insulted. You are correct. It is Sweden. No Swiss people uh, listen to this. <laughs> oh. So we can say whatever well, we want about the Swiss. Swedes do uh, listen, so we love Sweden. Yes. With. We do, and we love the city of Gavelbroken. Sure. Which has the gavel goat. Ooh. It's spelled G-A with an umlaut, mm -hmm. V-L-E-G-O-A-T. And it's this giant goat that they built. And I thought, what a great idea. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to make the oleander goat. And so I started... Uh, you know, uh, there's several uh, merchants that do it over there, and you know, there's even like the Natural Science Club. They make mm -hmm. uh, make a goat. Now, there's a part of this tradition that they celebrate in Sweden, not Switzerland, um, where they and they've been doing this since 1966. Mm -hmm. But ever since that year, people try to burn the goat down. Hmm. Um, and they, they've actually stole it a couple times. In fact, one in 1976, they actually rammed it with a car. Whoa. Uh, but usually, usually they burn it down. Yeah. In fact, in like 2005, uh, a bunch of people dressed as, uh, Santa Claus and the gingerbread man, mm -hmm. um, attacked the, the goat and they were put on, uh, the uh, the the Swedish version of America, or you know, most wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, so and uh, to be honest, and so there, it's sort of this friendly rivalry. Um, uh, you know, so um, uh, so you know they as a contest, and, and everybody has fun, mm -hmm. but you know. This is a little bit different. This was like my little creation. Uh, I, I love, um, uh, you know, I love my my giant goat in in here, and, and um, so nobody would burn my goat mm -hmm. except for Jack Stark. And so, so I, we've talked about um, Jack. You know, he he's he minion because he, oh, he works okay. for for. Uh, or uh, Gertrude uh, Oleander. I never remember and his real name. He's sort of the other. Yeah, everybody calls him town, calls him Minion. Yeah. Um, so he decides he is going to destroy my goat. 
Hmm. Um, and so he comes out and he's shooting at my goat with flaming arrows. Huh. And then finally, but you know, I stop it out and, and then, you know, he's not really good shot. So, yeah. you know, I had to put out a flaming arrow on my roof, you know, and, and I reported it to, you know, um, you know, the, the police and, you know, for those who don't live here, the police department in Oleander, it's basically a citizen watch with, um, you know, uh, AR-15s and samurai swords. Yeah. So I told them my story and, you know, they said, oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll look out for, a, you know, a Roman, uh, Roman archers. And they just laughed. But um, so the next day. I'm out there, and and I talk to, um, so Jack has has a sister, mm-hmm. who is kind of like a daughter to me, and, and that's Darcy Sark, mm-hmm. and so I give Darcy a heads up, and so Jack is attacking my giant goat with his drone, mm-hmm. but um, but you know I, I told Darcy, and so she has this big giant military grade. Uh, uh, drone, and so she shot it down. She shot his down. So you know, okay, I am, I'm, you know, she, you know, said. So I've been spending the evenings between me and, and, and the, the local vet, Doctor Pinky. We've been trying to, you know, watch this giant goat because it would do, it would just make minions year to burn my goat. Yeah, and so, um, so. Last night, I'm out there, and, and, you know, I've worked all day, and I'm just exhausted. So I'm falling to sh- I'm falling asleep out in my Jeep, um, and I hear this noise. I hear this flamethrower, and, and, and Minion is about to burn down my giant goat with a flamethrower. <laughs> now, now, but, you know, and I'm, I'm all groggy, and I'm trying to... To, to get out of the jeep and then so those of listened to the show know that there's there's two goats that are kind of special um solomon and sonia and they are like well they glow at night mm-hmm. and, and they walk through walls okay uh and you know so their eyes they get kind of they're standing there and their eyes get kind of hazy and misty and then all of a sudden, this huge giant rain cloud just pops up over Minion and just drenches him out. Just Whoa. completely washes him out. That's crazy. Puts out the fire in his flamethrower. Yeah. And I'm not saying the goats did it, but you don't mess with their giant goat god. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah. So... Um, so I'm, I'm standing up, but I, I don't think we're going to have any problem, uh, with Minion. Um, uh, I think he, I think he, um, let me put it this way. When he looked at those angry goats, it wasn't just the rain that made his pants wet. <laughs> Here was a little bit of urine, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I'm going to get back on him. I'm going to get back. All right. So. So, like I said, you know, Darcy's like my, my daughter, you know, uh-huh. but, and I love Darcy to death, but you've played D&D with her. Yeah. 
she is extremely hyper competitive. Yes. I mean, nobody, nobody go in and, you know, put it in the final hit uh, on the huge ogre that her, uh, you know, berserker barbarian is attacking. Because if you do, she's going to turn on you. I well, mean, no, she's no. extremely competitive. Oh, no, no. And, she, and, she'll, she'll use uh, berserker uh, barbarian stuff as an excuse to, like, kill a bard that uh, I'm playing. So I don't know. I, I Only and, twice. Okay, still, but anyway, so let's continue. <laughs> yes, so but 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 I love her to death. Okay, but she is hyper. I mean, competitive. She'll get with us. Mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. is like hyper competitive when it comes to her her twin brother Jack. Yeah, and so before he was married, Mister Stark, their parents um, lived in Venezuela. Okay, and he's so in Venezuela, you know. Way before all of these political and economic and up there, um, but he, he lived in Caracas. And what would happen is many of people in Caracas, they would roller skate uh-huh. to church on on Christmas Eve. Huh. So, so there's this tradition. Ever since they were little kids, uh, Darcy and, and Jack would basically race roller skate around town. Hmm. You know, this is before you know. Uh, you know, people getting their 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 uh, Louie Louie's chicken, go eat it in the graveyard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But so, what's going to happen this year? See, Marcy is like I said, I, I love the girl to death. She's hyper. She just immediately jumps on something. Where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so she, we call her the rabbit. And then Jack, he's 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 the tortoise. And so he goes slow. It's not that he's slow and steady. He just goes slow and cheats, and that's how he wins. Gotcha. But this Christmas Eve, this Christmas Eve, when he comes around the corner on Park Street, Mm -hmm. he is going to run into 75 of the hungriest, meanest he goats in rut. And we're going to just run them all through the road. We'll just be him in the roller skates. (laughs) Teach him to mess with our giant goat, our giant goat um, edifice. Yeah. Well, I hope that that works out for you. Uh, so how are you spending Christmas Eve? Oh, uh, we're just kind of hanging out around the house. Um, I mean, there's not really much to do. Uh, from the mayor's office, uh, me and the mayor, uh, we dug around in the, uh, you know, as, as I said, uh, mayor's like, dig around for stuff, find out what you can, do some problem solving for me. I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, one thing I did solve was boredom between me and the mayor. Uh, we have found a Atari 2600, and we have been playing uh, various games like Missile Command and Space Invaders and a really, really, really terrible Pac-Man port. But, you know, it's what we've been doing uh, at home, uh, me and the kids have. Uh, what about E.T.? <laughs> we don't. We... No, 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 no. Pac-Man's a bad Do you know the story about that? I do know the story about that, yes. But do you know the story about that? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Maybe we should share that story. Uh, not this. Not not this day. I would have to refresh and make sure that I know all okay. the proper names. So, because <laughs> I have been fascinated with the uh, well, E.T. Say, landfill. <laughs> needless to say, yes, that they thought that this was going to be the. So you know all this hype and anger over Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Oh yeah. Imagine it. Much worse. And I think it was 1982 <laughs> or 83. Yeah. E.T. was out. It was big. They were going to make the best game 
and they all released it by Christmas. And they had no time. It was just terrible. It was just this guy going up and down, and E.T. had to walk around in the tree. It was just terrible. Yeah. But this was going to make the 2600. And so they ordered more copies of this game to be made mm-hmm. than to um, than they were Atari 2600s. That's true. So the rumor is that Atari was so embarrassed that they dug this hole and they put it in New Mexico and then they ran it over with bulldozers and then covered it with cement. Mm-hmm. That is not true. I know for a fact, because I am one of the few people that knows where the true lying place of the graveyard of the Atari 2600s, it oh. didn't get past Oleander. What? So the 2600s, the ET cartridges, didn't go to New Mexico like they said. And buried here in northern Clackamas County. Huh. I don't know if I believe that, Dave. <laughs> Maybe next year we'll we'll go out and we'll we'll go we'll go explore. All right. But I have I, I'll tell you what, next year I'll show you, but I have where I know for a fact where the the graveyard of the 2600 Atari ET games are. Whoa. Okay. We'll have to check that out since, uh, I don't know, the mayor and I were like, let's not play ET. We didn't have a copy of it. I mean, I don't think they all got smashed. I mean, people, some people kept it probably, but uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, as I said, we have, uh, oh, pole position. We also have pole position, and pole position is pretty awesome. Uh, not I as awesome as the game. stand-up, but yeah, no, I remember playing the stand-up at Leonardo's Pizzeria as a kid, but yeah. And that wasn't a Ninja Turtle joke, that was the name of the pizzeria, it was owned by a family, and the, the dad's the, name was Leonard. The, the real pizza place. Yeah, it was, it was the place that you could get, like, authentic uh, pizza, as opposed to, like... I mean, you could sit in and dine there, and but it was in like a strip mall, so like all the walls were like it, it didn't look like a, a like how Pizza Hut used to look in like the late seventies, early eighties, with like the stained glass lamps over the tables and like salad bars and stuff like that. I don't know that if anyone remembers this stuff. <laughs> Does anyone remember Sizzler? Yes. <laughs> Those places were all terrible. Sizzler. I lo- Oh, I, I loved Sizzlers. They, oh, okay. they, they, they filed bankruptcy this year. Oh, I thought they filed bankruptcy in the late 90s. No, so there were several, uh, there were several Sizzlers, but they, 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 they closed their doors because of uh, this year. The last of the, the Sizzlers closed their door this year. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, for me growing up in California, it, it was Roundtable. Roundtable. Oh, I loved Roundtable Pizza growing up. And also, I loved the video games at the Roundtable Pizza. I can't remember the name of it, but there was one. It was kind of like a, a Golden Axe kind of game, except for you only got to play a barbarian. And I think a lady barbarian. And you could jump and you could swing, and that was it. I don't think there was any magic, but it was very kind of sword and sandal. And I I think that had a, mm. a, a fair amount to do with, like, me getting more interested in like little bits and pieces of like sword and sandal throughout uh, media throughout the uh, mid eighties, early early nineties kind of stuff. But yeah, 
you know what? That's not what we're going to talk about. Um, uh, just to get back to what we were talking about, um, my family, uh, we're just going to sit around and eat food and watch TV and unwrap presents on Christmas Day and just kind of enjoy each other's company and not travel and not hang out with people. But, you know, because there's a pandemic in case anyone forgot. And, <laughs> you know, just just try and have a little bit of normalcy is, is the big plan. And, you know, um, it's that's 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 the best bit of normalcy, because then you look out the back window and go, oh, yeah, that's right. I live next to a massive graveyard. <laughs> I think I'm going to yeah, talk to the mayor true. about moving locations now that I'm the calm troller. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe get a new place. Yeah. All right. So we have so an we interview. So we got an interesting interview coming yeah. up next. What do we got? And this is Tommy Clark. Tommy Clark. And Tommy writes, uh, he writes, um, he's an author. He also has a fellow uh a podcaster. Oh, okay. He has a podcast where they talk about uh, Scandinavian death metal and cosmic horror. Oh, cool. Very cool. But his writing, he, he tries very hard not to be a genre. So he, you know, sort of like how, you know, Alien is um, horror in space. Mm-hmm. You know, you take two different combined. That's what his writing is a lot like. Oh, nice. Uh, he's a big fan now of what they call, uh, I guess, the new uh, splatter western movement. Oh. And he's going to talk a little bit about his writing, but also a little about some of the other uh, combos he likes. Well, that's cool. I can't wait to listen to that. All right, let's listen to that, everyone. And uh, at the tail end of that, uh, we're going to have some D&D on D&D. And uh, I floated a concept past Dave, and uh, Dave said yes. And I think we're going to be talking about uh babes in toyland uh D, and we mean babes in toyland like um the the 1930 what were you talking 19 1934 uh laurel and hardy film yeah and i was gonna like i i, I vaguely remember seeing that the one i'm familiar with is the buena vista disney uh featuring annette funicello and uh, I can't remember who else is in that. Uh, Roy Bulger, maybe? But yeah, <laughs> um, uh, I'll have to look that up uh, after the uh, interview. But yeah, uh, we're going to be talking about that a little bit. And that's that's it for the episode. But not until we talk about D&D. So sit tight. And we'll be right back after these messages. And have a good one, y'all. The Necrocastican, where we blend horror and metal for your pleasure, and ours, with special guests from horror and metal, with host Smoke and Walt Ball, ah! Thomas R. Clark, Mr. Scott Reacts, you don't have to pay for it, which I think is ridiculous. Sergeant Fury Dan Roberts, and Uncle Skip Novak. Train, train! And where can you find the Necrocastican, Sergeant Fury? Wherever you get your fine-ass podcasts. Mondays on Project Entertainment Network. Welcome back to Radio Free Oleander, and you're listening to the Farmer Dave Show. And we have a special guest uh, today, and I'm going to actually let him introduce himself. Oh, oh, hi, Dave. I'm Tom. How are you? I am well, Tom. I am well. So this is uh, author Thomas R. Clark. And um, uh, Tom, uh, let's hear a little bit about what you write. 
Um, I, I write speculative fiction. It's my, uh, uh, I guess you could call it generic term, so I don't say horror and make people run away. <laughs> okay, okay. A lot of people uh, run away from the word horror, so. I, I guess I guess if you're going to brand yourself, maybe branding yourself as something scary was not horror writing's best choice. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so speculative fiction is what I, I go with because... That's you know that that wraps a lot of things together. Yeah, it does. In fact, um, well, we'll go on to this because you're uh, you're pretty well known for combining different aspects and different genres together. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything that I write, uh, especially long form, blends genres together. Um, it's not just a horror book; it's a horror book and something else. Like, or it's two types of horror, like Bella's Boys. that's out now mashes up splatterpunk horror. And cosmic horror. Um, Good Boy, my debut novel, uh, matches up zombie fiction with animal fiction. Okay, excellent. And and where can uh, people in our audience, uh, where can they uh, find out more about these books? Well, you can get them from my, uh, directly from me at my website, thomasrclark.com, or you can get them at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. I, we also have audio books out there on Audible of Good Boy and Bella's Boys. Excellent. And um, you have a podcast, too, correct? Yeah, yeah, the Necrocasticon, where uh, me and my buddies uh, Walter Scott, Dan, and Skip uh, talk about uh, heavy metal and horror. And uh, some of You the had games. me at Necro. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and one of, our, one of our running jokes is we always have the uh, guests that we have on uh, cut a little station ID for us, like they used to do back in radio stations back in the day. And they'll, they'll say, hi, this is uh, whoever I am, and you're listening to the Necrocasticon. And they don't always say Necrocasticon correctly. So it makes for blooper oh. reels. <laughs> oh, I bet you have. I would say I bet you have some great ones there. The, the uh, Necros Sarcastic Dawn. And... <laughs> Necronasticon is one of, some, one of the favorite ones for people to call it. <laughs> Oh, that sounds just great. So one of the reasons we really wanted to talk to you today is about this idea of blending, you know, genres and bringing different types of stories to, together. And I think probably the classic example that it can be done well and actually be profitable is uh, the movie Aliens. That um, I mean, that I love that. That was, as a child, that was my first thought that, you know, science fiction didn't, it just have to be Star Wars or Flash Gordon. It could be something scary. Uh, what are some of your favorite sort of mix matches there? The aliens opened up on my birthday and I saw it on my birthday and the, and the row before me in the movie theater was a platoon of Marines. Oh, so it was the most interactive movie experience that I had ever had in my life at that time. <laughs> I bet you learned some new words, too. Hoorah. I learned that really quick. <laughs> but, you know, to me, Aliens isn't just... Uh, 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 everybody says it's a, an action sci-fi or a sci-fi action horror movie. It, it's, you know, it's very similar to Predator in that, in that aspect. But, you know, fundamentally, both Predator and Aliens are, are basically just cosmic horror stories. Um, it's how the public perceives it you see an action star in that movie and you you know in 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 sylvester stallone for example or in sigourney weaver as the case can be 
and you immediately see that's an action film. But if you look at the base elements of both of these stories, they are cosmic horror stories. There's an unknown entity out there that is doing something that is ambivalent to human life. There is cultists out there. In this case, in both cases, the cultists are the mysterious military people that are chasing these entities around. Um, people go crazy within these things. You know, game over, we're all going to die. You know, yeah. for example. So there is madness, there is insanity in these. And yes, it plays out on the screen, as you would say, as a mashup. As a mashup. And, and I think that's part of the reason that it is, is so popular. Movies like this, Last of the Mohicans, Ghostbusters, are great examples. Is Last of the Mohicans a romance or is it an action-adventure story? Mm. Is Ghostbusters a comedy or is it a horror film? No, it is both. No, absolutely. And, you know, especially when you're thinking about uh, cosmic horror, uh, you know, Stephen King said, especially on the first Alien, you know, that's us visiting the outer gods. They're no longer coming to us. And, and you think about it, it's basically this alien slasher that gets killed at the end by the final girl uh, with a uh, spear gun uh, while she's in her underwear. Yeah. So, so no, I love the fact that I'm, and, and I guess, you know what? I think as a child, you know what my first experience probably was? And, and feel free to laugh and mock me, but Scooby-Doo. Oh. Scooby-Doo was something different, even as a, you know, five, six, seven-year-old. Scooby-Doo was something different than everything else. And it was, I think, this Saturday morning slash com, you know, horror mix-up. It was. It absolutely was. And the one thing we learned from that, ghosts don't scare me. People do. Yep. Yep. That's true. We learned that the real monsters are people. And I think that's, yeah. I think that lends a lot to modern writers and being a creative in this modern era. Um, you have to remember that. Your monster isn't necessarily your villain in your story. Sometimes it's sometimes it's the people that are in your story. Yeah, have there ever been any any mix-ups that just didn't work for you that that you thought maybe hey they should have stayed in one lane or the other? Well, I I, I really can't be the person to make that judgment because I look at a product overall as to sure. to, to whether it appeals to me or not. Um. In some in some cases, you, you could look at a property and say maybe they, they, this could have had more, you know, been more of like a George Lucas uh, redoing a Star Wars movies in the '90s type situation, you know. Yeah. But I, I I really I really don't look at the the blending of two different genres as being something that makes a story work or not. What makes that story work or not is whether or not it's just a good story. You know, and, and I agree because when I thought of this question, I was thinking, you know, what came to my mind was it's like some of the early um, Roger Corman, some of the API movies, you know, or AIP movies. And it wasn't that it didn't, the idea didn't work. It's maybe that Corman knew Poe better than he knew what a French soldier was like, you know, so he, it, it's not necessarily the mashup, but some artist maybe 
didn't balance him enough. Well, well, again here, this is where I think, again, you're misinterpreting or mis misunderstanding what a mashup is. These adaptions of the Poe material... They were just an interpretation. They weren't ma they weren't a mashup, so to say, even though they were period pieces. Um, but it just it was the setting of it. And <coughs> excuse me. So I, I think that that right there, um, it I, I think what it is is you're you're expecting that source material and you get something else, and that usually ends up being a problem with a lot of viewers. I I, I think so, and. and... And maybe I just didn't get my tolerance. Maybe as a history major, I'm just not as tolerant as I think I am sometimes. <laughs> oh, I'm, 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 the problem being a history buff is when you watch stuff like television's Vikings, for example, um, and you and you know the history of that time period, and you realize that History Channel is taking great liberties with that history, but. They're doing it to tell a, a, a narrative on television that middle America will be able to understand. And I think they did a good job of it, even though they, you know, screwed around. You know, I suspect that uh, unable to watch TV shows that have history on it because he keeps talking was one of the reasons that was written down on my divorce papers. <laughs> so when you're out being farmer in the field, that's what you think about all day, huh? Well, fortunately, amazing thing. If you feed them, goats will let you talk about anything. I'm sure they will. They'll give you all the attention you want. And they won't even tell you if it's bad or not. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. But so, you know, and I think that science fiction horror, because my feeling is, is a lot of, is horror is basically sort of this idea to bring to, to scare, to bring chills. And that others, like Western science fiction romance, are more settings. That's why yep. I think that maybe horror sort of adapts better with these other types uh, than, than maybe other mashups. What, what do you think? Well, I, I think that horror is part of a story. Um, <clears throat> a great example here is this. You, you have a bad guy. A bad guy's got to be believable. And there's two things that make a bad guy believable in a story. One, the bad guy thinks he's the good guy. And two, he's scary as hell. Thanos, for example, thought he was the good guy. Thanos is terrifying. Perfect villain. Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Grand Moff Tarkin. He thinks he's, doing, he thinks he's bringing stability to the galaxy. Correct. And instead, he's just murdering people. Yep. So you, that is what a good villain is. So you need that. Um, as long as that's in a story, then the narrative builds around the villain. What is your hero doing? What, what is the point of your hero? What is you, why, why is your hero facing this villain? Etc. and so on. Um, you talk about uh, non-horror mashups. And you mentioned things like uh, the Western adaptions of the Kurosawa films, just for yeah. example, there. Um, those are less, again, less of a mashup and more of the setting of the story. Because Yojimbo from Kurosawa is Sergio Leone's Fistful of Dollars, 
which is Bruce Willis's Last Man Standing, which is Nancy A. Collins's Sonya Blue Book, A Dozen Black Roses. They're all the same story if they just are in a different setting. You know, and that's, I think you're absolutely right. And that was something I think when I was sort of thinking about this, I, I sort of missed the idea that there's a different setting as opposed to uh, a mashup. So, so you know, and, and, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here. So you take Hamlet and Hamlet is a mashup or West Side Story is a mashup because it is musical and Shakespeare, right. not because it's moving Shakespeare to New York. Correct, correct. So it's it's Romeo and Juliet in New York City, but it's a musical. So it's adding music to it. So that makes it a mashup there. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I think sometimes in my mind I get the tweaking or changing the setting. So so. Well, right now, what's something that's really popular out there is the Splatter Western. These are a series of horror westerns that are put out by Death's Head Press. They're a, a small press out of Texas. And um, they've been really popular right now um, because they're, they're taking horror tropes that are normally used in, in modern fiction, and they're putting them in a western setting. And it's something new. It's something fresh. And when you take these together and you blend them together like that, it makes a new entity. It makes new art. And the product is generally, you know, well accepted like this one is. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of these come out. Yeah, no, I will definitely have to check uh, check those out. Uh, where did you say we could find those? Those are from Death's Head Press. Uh, they're a small press out of Texas. And they're, uh, you can find them on Amazon, from what I understand. Um, Wiley Young, uh, Patrick Harrison III, um, Christine Morgan. They've all uh, written entries in this uh, summer canon. Uh, not summer canon, uh, Kenzie Jennings. Um, okay. So, yeah, definitely check those out. They're fantastic books. Violent as hell. Um, my favorite one out of the lot is Wiley Young's uh, Magpie Coffin. It's it's basically uh, if what if, you know, Elric uh, from Michael Moorcock was a Old West gunslinger. Mm. And Stormbringer was a six-shooter. Six <laughs> that, that you know that that does a that is it's taking something that exists but it's taking it so creatively it's making it different it sounds like it's making it a different entity yeah yeah one of the things that we are blessed in right now is we're living in an era of new diversity and because of that we are getting to see other cultures take their take stories that we've already told and reinterpret them in their manner and we are getting to see old stories retold with refreshing new light now um, yeah. I think we're blessed to be living in this era right now. We're in a platinum age of television where novels are getting, you know, one season adaptations on cable channels that they never would have gotten on the networks back in the day. Absolutely. So Absolutely. It, we're blessed right now with all the entertainment that we have. It's, it really is. We almost feel like, I almost feel like the, you know, the, the, the overlords of the new world order are giving us games. <laughs> if you know what I mean, you know, games and give them games and bread, you know? <laughs> Bread and, cir- bread and circuses. Bread and circuses. You got it. They're giving us, you know, playstations and uh, and uh, and pizza. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? And I was thinking, what? <clears throat> you know, not to give any of your ideas up, but what were some maybe some mashups you'd like to see in the future? Uh, things I'd like to see. Um, I really like these Bloomhouse uh, reimaginings of 
bunch of, of stories that have been told many times. Um, Happy Death Day, which is Groundhog Day, essentially. The new one, Freaky, which is Freaky Friday, but the girl switches with a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, I, I just saw the ad. I just saw the ad for that. I love it. It's great. You know, this, the, the it, right now the imagination of the creators is our only limit limitation that we have. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. I, so I want to see something new, something fresh every time I see it. Yeah, and, and and I think you know you can think of of sort of the the tropes as maybe the ingredients. Yes. But so we've got old tropes, but we can put them together in a fresh new way. Mm-hmm. It's like making a new Lego, you know? Take that yeah, Lego exactly. building, make it up. Yeah, I don't like that. We'll make a different one. You're still using the same yeah. Legos. Yeah, but but it's still it's still something new and it's still yeah. something interesting. Absolutely. And they say the, the, the all the stories have been told. It's just how you tell them. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, this has been just a pleasure, but we are about running out of time. So let me go ahead. Uh, uh, Tom, what's the best way for uh, people who are interested in your books to get them again? Again, you can get them right through me at my website, thomasrclark.com. And you can also uh, get them through Amazon and Barnes & Noble, for example. And if you wanted to listen in on your uh, podcast, uh, what's the best way to to, listen? to bring that up the necrocast account is available wherever you get your podcasts um but we are um, our, our core network that we're with is uh, project entertainment network and you can go to projectentertainmentnetwork.com and you can find the necrocast account there or you can get us at necrocasticon.com well excellent well thank you very much uh, anything else maybe you'd like to share with our audience be, uh, before we wrap up no not much uh, other than uh, happy holidays and um, yes, thank you very much. Yeah, and thank you very much. All right, well, thank you, and um, we we'll hope to have you on the show again. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Hey, everyone! It is me, DB, and this guy over here, Dave. Dave, how's how's the D and D these days? Uh, it's going well. You know, the games are kind of holding off a little bit. Um, just, you know, holidays. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it'll pick up in January. Cool, cool. So, Babes in Toyland. Can you give us a plot summary of Babes in Toyland as you recall it? Okay, so I remember as a child growing up in the the L.A. greater market, uh-huh. They would always, Tom Hatton would always broadcast Babes in Toyland. My whole family, my grandparents, my cousin, we'd all sit around and watch it. It's a 1934 film, uh, you know, stars, it was a, a Laurel and Hardy uh, piece. And it's based on a 1903 um, uh, opera or okay. operetta. Uh, and it, it has, and you know, it has Santa Claus in it. Uh-huh. And it's, but it instead of living, instead of taking place in the North Pole, it takes in this fairy world. Okay. Um, and um, basically, you, you know, Lauren Hardy play, you know, play uh, Stanley Dumb and Ollie D. So Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Mm-hmm. And so they're not the smartest of uh, 
of Santa Claus's helpers. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they're given an assignment to make 600 one foot tall um, toy soldiers, and they make 100 six foot tall soldiers. You know, and Santa says, "Well, he can't. He can't use these. You know, um, he can't take them all the kids." And then there's sort of this subplot with this, this really awesome, you know, villain named Barnaby, mm-hmm. who he's trying to steal. Uh, he's trying to steal uh, uh, Little Bo Beep's house with his his his, uh, his boogeyman accomplishment. And basically, uh, at the end, uh, when he takes over the town, they they you know wind up all the the uh, the toy, the the six foot tall uh, uh, toy soldiers, and they chase him out of town. Okay. Huh. Now you're more familiar with the the, the Disney one, right? Yeah, the Disney one uh, doesn't have Laurel and Hardy, has Annette Funicello, and doesn't have uh, mistakes by Laurel and Hardy making things different sizes. It is uh, a shrink ray. <laughs> and it's in Technicolor. <laughs> and uh, I also remember that being fairly, uh, not the shrink ray aspect of it, but um, just through mistakes. Um, I, I remember that being, uh, I, mm, I remember not being confused by that. Uh, the I, I saw a play of it. Um, I can't remember if there was a lot of singing or not. Um uh, there was a high school production of Babes in Toyland uh, at at my elementary school when I was like in second or third grade, and yeah, it was it was it was pretty cool. I remember being like, "Wow, this is just like watching the Disney one." And <laughs> thinking back at it later, being like, "That was just a bunch of sixteen-year-olds and seventeen-year-olds having to do a holiday play." <laughs> But yeah, yeah, um, it's 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 very much the same story as I said. It's just uh, uh, also has. I mean, it has the toy maker and Bartleby and the Forest of No Return and all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, just just a little bit more Disney-ish, I guess. But um, now, what kind of thing were you thinking would be kind of like a cool concept for like Babes in Toyland? Uh, for D and D, were you thinking? So the 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 all over, I mean the the Lauren Hardy character, uh-huh. uh, Ollie D and and um, oh uh, Stanley Dumb, uh-huh. they would make two perfect D and D characters. Gotcha. So so you got Ollie who's who's sort of this uptight artificer, mm-hmm. and then you have Sta- uh, Stanley who's um, basically a stupid bard yeah you know he he basically everything is hauling apart around him and you know and and he's kind of uh, goes through and of course then when everything falls down he's you know anyone who's ever seen uh you know uh laurel and hardy you know uh uh you know he he just breaks down and is but he does these what now we probably all say these like stupid magic tricks mm-hmm. it's like you know where you, you take your thumb and you wrap it around the finger mm-hmm. and it looks like you put it on your other hand it looks like you're pulling your thumb off yes and then he does it like where he puts his hands together and he sticks his middle finger down and his 
middle other middle finger up and, and it looks like he's you know basically tied all of his fingers in um uh you know it looks like a tie in knots yeah uh it's kind of like what i think you know the the the, the digitation spell is or, gotcha. or cantrip is now yeah, yeah and and they would make two just amazing um characters that you know especially if you got two people who who know each other maybe know the routines and sort of play off each other where the uptight to where the other guy is just completely oblivious until it hits him right in the face okay gotcha gotcha yeah those those would make interesting characters something i was thinking about was in the walt disney version uh uh, there is a uh, shrinking gun that reduces everyday objects to toy size. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about, like, it can, it can also, like, um, I think uh, cause them to go back to, like, uh, or, or cause things to go to a large height. And I, I was uh, thinking about, like, um, what about if you were to take like uh things like tacks things things that could be used for like uh melee weapons or structural objects or like adventuring tools made out of like just like oh yeah it's a piece of string but now it's 50 feet of rope everybody uh you know stuff like that like oh we we just made uh, torches out of matchsticks or sun rods or whatever you want to do I don't know something that what I was uh, just kind of thinking about. Uh, uh, even, even, even like uh, possibly like um, taking small toys and making them large, and then like enchanting them to be like I don't know animated objects, possibly. Just kind of like all kinds of like uh, even with like tin soldiers. Like maybe if you're doing like a F twenty or D and D campaign. Uh, uh, what is it? D and D fifth edition. I can't remember what D and D now. I think it is. Uh, you know, something like five like, E. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, just like tin soldiers that uh, you wind up and stuff like that. But you animate them. Maybe they shoot sparks out of their mouth. Maybe their guns fire. Maybe ha do that with nutcrackers, and like you know, have them have them like menacing metal teeth or something like that, and have them be like not well, a foot tall, but have them be like six feet tall. Well, I love I I love con constructs. Yeah, yeah. The, the toy soldier, you know, and, and it, even if it's not a gun, you know, give him give him a pike mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or or a spear. But you know what you're talking about? I was thinking, you know, you could have like a a neutral chaotic uh, magic user attacks a town with his strength gray mm -hmm. or strength shrink wand, and he shrinks the party, and now they've got to go through his house and find the wand and and get themselves unshrunk. Oh yeah. That, that that would be kind of fun yeah no 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 like having a uh a, a micro adventure i mean you could definitely do something like that in like uh like a wizard's uh like that that would be something interesting to happen in like a wizard's laboratory with cats and all kinds of chemicals and stuff like that uh maybe like i don't know maybe maybe turn a house ends up turning the house into a dungeon <laughs> yeah they're the regular spiders but you use giant spider stats yeah dire rats for dire rats or i don't know you probably have to use something else but uh, <laughs> be an interesting interesting one
Uh, yeah. And, and, and the, the 1934 one, the one thing that I remember the most when mm-hmm. I think about it is that they had – it. this wasn't a Disney project. Sure. So they couldn't use Mickey Mouse. But they had a mouse that kind of looked like Mickey Mouse. Sure. But it was it was actually a monkey in a suit. Oh, yeah. And, and so he's – the monkey, the mouse, excuse me gets in this like little zeppelin mm-hmm. and he's flying around throwing bomb, little firecrackers at the bad guys yeah you know you could have a, a familiar rat in a in a zeppelin shooting out spells i mean that'd be pretty cool nobody's gonna expect that <laughs> yeah 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 and uh yeah i, I believe in the uh the 1960s one oh just lost my train of thought. Gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> All right. Anything else we want to do with uh, Babes in Toyland? And again, we are talking about the, well, the movie, other, not and, the and not the band. Oh, the the other thing that that I think would be really cool, and I think they changed his name, mm-hmm. but a couple is is in the thirty four version. It was Barnaby, mm-hmm. and I think in the other version they changed his name, but he's just this this evil for the sake of evil chaotic for the sake of chaotic i'm in love with this girl and i'm gonna destroy this town villain. yeah I mean, yeah made, in the disney version he's very <laughs> mustache twirling bad guy but that and you know the whole you know the whole um you know, the fairy tale bring bring the fairy tales into it mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. uh, make make it like a fayland yeah you know I, i've done that before where, one where they cross into the the Feyland and and they find you know the 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 witch from uh, 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 Hansel and Gretel you know gingerbread house yeah you know so maybe this maybe that maybe the town is is all of a sudden cursed by the Fey and so you know the shepherd becomes you know little Bo Peep and and you know. All of a sudden, that, that guy, Jack, that keeps getting under their feet, all of a sudden he can jump over candles and anything, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. make make a, make a the town into like the, this, this, this fey land and bring like a, maybe not a, you know, Santa Claus, but, you know, maybe an avatar of Odin. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. But that, that's, that's all that I thought of. Yeah. That's, that's all I could think of too, but I don't know. Uh. There, there's one final scene. I mean, there's one scene that like I want to like leave this with that I think is so cool. There's a scene in the Disney one where Tom's in a birdcage, and it's kind of like this thing. Uh, Barnaby puts shrinks Tom and puts him in a birdcage. And something that has been warned about is you can't shrink something more than once or it'll cease to exist. So there's actually an element of death in this Disney film. Mm. <laughs> and that's also a concept that I think would be like really kind of cool to bring into like a D&D thing. Like it's like, yeah, no, it won't just make you half your half your half your size it'll just like shrink you out of existence but i i really kind of like the uh, uh the idea of like shrinking down pcs and throwing them into a bird cage or a rat cage or any kind of like animal cage but you know like someone's like who's been messing with my stuff and or even just like even giants like that's something else to think about is like why mess around with toys like human toys and uh like if we have a world of giants what if 
What if, like, a storm giant, like, accidentally kicks off uh, his junk drawer and it falls down and someone's like, look at this amazing sword! And someone else is like, that's a storm giant's letter opener. It just happens to be plus one. But I don't know. <laughs> he, he, he gets some pretty intense mail. Yeah. <laughs> oh, another thing from the cloud giants. Ooh. Yes. All right. Well, that's 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 all I got for D and D on D and D. Do you got anything else there, Dave? Well, no. Just gonna wish our audience, uh, you know, happy holidays, Merry yeah. Christmas, uh, Kwanzaa, and um, got a really really good show next next week. Ooh, yeah. Um, where I have a, a special interview with um Dr. Samantha Underhill. Oh, very cool. Very she cool. She has she has degrees. Uh, she has two PhDs, uh-huh. and she is a professor of psychophysics. Oh, cool! As opposed to me, I'm a psycho goat farmer. <laughs> but very, she very interesting story. She is an is I would say an expert, even though it's not her education, on Lovecraft and Tolkien. Oh, very and cool! She really opens up, tells us, you know, how she turned to especially Lovecraft, and, and how it, it helped her get through. A rather difficult stage in her life. Very cool. And um, in addition to that, we sort of discuss, you know, our favorite Lovecraft. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. if you're new to Lovecraft, what would be a good place for you to start? Ooh, yeah. So really, 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 really excellent episode uh, to end the year off with. Nice, nice. Well, th- far, even though it'll be past Christmas by the time most people hear it, you know, it'll still be part of our scary Christmas. Scary Christmas. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about that. I hope everyone has a wonderful holiday. Uh, those of you celebrating Christmas, I hope you're having a great Christmas. Those of you who your holidays have passed, hey, I hope you had a rad holiday. Anyone who's not celebrating holidays such as myself, I hope you have a cool time just sitting around doing whatever you want to do uh, with your friends and family. If you want to exchange gifts, that's cool with me. I don't care. It's up to you. It's your time. It's your day off. Do what you as want. As long as do. you don't burn down giant goat statues. Yeah, yeah. As long as you're cool, keep it clean. Don't be a jerk. Just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> see it. See you next week. See you next week. And after that, we'll see you next year. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about Radio Free Oleander. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Bye. Happy holidays.